opportunity to share with brothers and sisters in Christ. We do have some visitors here today. We're glad to have you, some old friends of ours. Uh, Mark, Joe, good to have both of you with us. Uh, Isaac's got some friends with him, new folks to the area. Good to have you uh, both with us here this morning. I don't see any other faces that are not familiar to me, but we are glad that you are here today. Uh, I should introduce Ty and Holly. Good to have them, Mr. and Mrs. McClanahan. So it's good to have them in our service. Welcome back with us. We congratulate you on your wedding, and uh, we're glad the Lord's located you back in Charleston. So look forward to getting to know you both better. Okay, uh, if you would look at your uh, bulletin for just a moment. There's several things in here, some that we're going to uh, touch on a little bit later in the service. As each of you are well aware, uh, with the recent surge in COVID, just trying as a church family, as a elders shepherding our church to have wisdom in what we're doing, Please know that we pray regularly, asking God for wisdom, uh, for knowledge. We have reached out to those who are a part of the medical community that kind of serve on the front lines to get their understanding of what's going on and felt like it would be wise for us during the month of September to postpone some of the ministries that uh, we had gotten back into. So we have postponed our training hour for the month of September. We're hopeful to be able to re-engage with that in October. Uh, there'll be no sojourners this month. We were really looking forward to getting back to that. I know many of our folks were as well, uh, but we'll go ahead and postpone that for the month of September as well. One of the main goals that we have in some of the decisions that we are making is to make sure that we can maintain our 10 o'clock gathering. We feel that that is such a critical part of each believer's walk with the Lord, an opportunity to come together, to listen to the word, to be encouraged and strengthened, to be able to worship the, God, uh, the Lord together with our church family. So uh, we're doing all we can to make sure that that is uninterrupted. So please continue to pray with us. As we've mentioned so many times, we appreciate your patience. We appreciate your good spirit, the spirit of unity that by and large has really prevailed among our church family over these past several months and we're very very grateful for that please note the annual picnic it'll be october the 10th it's a little different this time we're asking you to bring your own food uh, the church will supply the drinks but we will have this it's an open air setting always a wonderful time and so please make plans uh, to be there also, the new ch uh, church software email updates. If you do not receive an email from our church, uh, please make sure you get your name to us. We send out some things that kind of encourage our hearts during the week as well as just to keep you up to date with anything that's going on, particularly important during this time of COVID, uh, making sure we're up to speed with all the different things. Let's take a moment now and allow our own hearts and minds to be focused on the Lord, asking God to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from the Word of God, that as we sing, that we would engage our hearts to truly make praise unto our Lord glorious for His honor, for His glory, asking God to do that work in, in our hearts that only He can produce. Let's take a moment and do that as we come before the Lord.
ask you to stand, if you would, please, and listen as I read Psalm 145. Psalm 145 has often been a place that I have gone back to personally in my life as a pastor, as just a, a child of God, to re be reminded of the greatness of God's person and the greatness of his works. You listen to David as he exalts our great God. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy over all he has made. Might God use this to call our hearts into his presence. Right. 
attention to the reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, let us remember that these questions and answers are a weekly reminder that we are connected to the church throughout history and around the world. Today's questions center upon the doctrines of the resurrection of the body and the eternal life possessed by all believers. Our first question is, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh will be raised by the power of Christ, united with my soul, and made like Christ's glorious body. How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessings, such as no eye has seen, and as really no human heart has ever imagined, a blessings in which to praise God forever. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for the gift of eternal life, and we praise you for the joy we experience as we look forward to that day that was won for us by Christ. We know that because of his resurrection, the future hope of our resurrection is certain, and it gives us comfort in times of trial. We are thankful that though you allowed sin to enter the world, it will one day be banished and wiped away forever. But in your providence, the impact of sin is still real and something we experience continually. Father, we pray for those battling sickness and disease. We ask for healing and strength and effective medical care for each one. For those who struggle with anxiety and other emotional challenges, I pray you would provide clarity of mind calmness as they look to you as their strength and shield. For those who may be struggling financially or who are seeking employment, I pray that they would look to you as their provider and sustainer. And for all of us who struggle with sin, protect our hearts from the evil one. Let us run to scripture and to prayer you may sanctify us through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we at Randolph Street would not be anxious, that our faith would be strong, and we would instead rely on you and continually recall your promises. Give us confidence that you will care for us. And I pray in these times that we would be the church, that we would gladly and joyfully help each other pray that those who have needs would ask for help, and those with the means will show generosity and the love of Christ as they provide that help. And we love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in all times, because you first loved us. And no matter the circumstance, may we trust in your sovereign plan for each of our lives, that above all we will honor praise you and glorify your name now and until that day when we fully experience eternal joy in your presence.
name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Please stand and sing.
From the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do, did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. A reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Please stand. Oh 
ask you to get your bulletins back out again, particularly the insert that you'll find in that bulletin. The last couple of Sundays we have taken this time that we normally reserve for the reading of the sermon text to begin to pray for the nations, the neighborhoods, the people around us. I trust that this has been a blessing to you. It has been a tremendous blessing to my own soul following the pattern. If you read the book of Acts, you have to be moved by how God moves the gospel throughout the various regions to the ends of the earth, and that is what we are called to continue to do. Over these next four or three months, over these next months, we're going to be focusing on four different nations. Throughout the remainder of the month of September, we're going to be looking at Somalia. That is the insert that you have in your bulletin this morning. I would encourage you just to take some time and read through this, become familiar with some of the statistics. Look up on a map where it is located in the continent of Africa. Take some time to think through this to make yourself acquainted in that. Uh, we are going to, there's some resources there at the bottom that you can look at, I think would be very helpful. Urgent needs is what we're going to be alluding to today. The Joshua Project doesn't necessarily focus on these particular nations that we'll be looking at, but it looks at some of the places around the world, a tremendous uh, opportunity to be praying for our brothers and sisters and the, the uh, movement of the gospel in these various nations. They're asking us to pray in four particular ways, and you'll see that listed there at the bottom as well as in the middle. And so we trust that uh, you will continue to engage in that. Not only are we going to be praying for this, but our elders have suggested that we take these next months, the last four months of 2021, and 10% of all that's given in the general giving will be sent to help these least reached nations. There's a tremendous organization, particularly this Urgent Needs, that takes these funds and funnels them into different areas, church planting, training pastors, theological resources, and then humanitarian efforts, which in some of these nations is just overwhelming. And so I trust that you will give with that in mind, that you will pray that God will use these funds for his honor and glory. Might it be our goal to give thousands of dollars for this cause of the gospel. I would like for you to listen carefully. It's sometimes difficult to fully understand this particular individual is praying as a Middle Eastern voice uh, individual praying for the nation of Somalia. I think you will pick up the deep, deep passion in his heart. I'd like for you to be able to watch the clip as he is praying, as he it shows various scenes in Somalia, the tremendous needs that are there. Uh, I trust that this visual will be something that will hit deeply into our hearts and call us to pray as well. When it is finished, I will lead us in a time of prayer as well. Russ, if you would start there. Father, we lift your holy name. We thank you that you are God. So you know Somalia, you know everything that goes on there. And we thank you for the nation of Somalia. We thank you for what has happened over the years. And we thank you that with your divine intervention, there is going to be restoration. 
Father, Somalia has gone through a lot. The precious, precious people of Somalia have seen suffering. They've seen pain, pain beyond human description. Oh, Somalia has been known as Africa's most failed nation. It's also known as the most lawless nation in the world. Somalia is a broken nation, Lord. They've seen lawlessness. They've seen terrorism. They've seen murders, heartless killings. Farming has killed thousands and so many things. They've seen pirates hijacking and, and ships on the high seas. They've seen so many negativity. It's a broken nation that needs divine restoration. Only you can intervene, Lord. We pray. We pray, Lord. We cry out for the beautiful nation of Somalia. The only God Almighty intervene for political stability for peace for restoration for healing for a nation to be healed we cry out for a nation to be healed and for a nation to know jesus and for your name to be exalted that all that the enemy means for evil you will turn it to good lord we pray for the somalis who are outside in the diaspora who have scattered across the world that they will come to know jesus and they'll go back to their nations as missionaries we pray also you send more missionaries and at the end of the day your name will be glorified and somalia shall be saved we thank you in jesus name amen are deeply moved as we hear our brother cry out to you for his people, for the salvation of souls, for the working of your Holy Spirit, for the care of your people, for the gospel to go forth in a major, mighty way, redeeming people. And so, Father, we join our brother in praying. We pray specifically for those who are believers, those who have been given life by your spirit, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would protect them, that you would strengthen them, O oh Lord. Father, we look at pictures such as this, and it certainly causes us to realize that there are many who are our brothers and sisters that we will spend all eternity with that suffer such deep persecution and such deep needs. And yet, Lord, you are watching over them and caring for them. You have prepared a place for them. And, Lord, we shall again spend all eternity with them. We pray, Father, that you would give great wisdom to these believers as they seek to give out the gospel. We pray for them as they, in very creative ways, must find the ability to meet together with other believers, to worship the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, we thank you for these and pray for the work of your gospel in those areas. Fathers, we think about our neighborhoods. We pray for the west side. We pray for our city. We pray for our region. I pray particularly for First Baptist Church down in Logan, for Brother Hatfield, 
Father, I do ask God as we've asked over and over and over again that you would strengthen his hand. Father, they have this building in the middle of this town and Lord, there's much room there. We would ask, oh God, that you would move, that you would help them as they seek to reach their neighbors, as they reach their city. I pray, Lord, that you would cause many to know you, that you would take your children and lead them to that local church. I pray you would strengthen Brother Michael as he preaches, as he seeks to shepherd those people, protect his heart from discouragement in days when it's almost overwhelming for him. And so, God, I pray you would continue to minister to him. We also pray for Brother Jared Belcher down in Williamson. Lord, we thank you for Jared, his giftedness, his ability to preach. Lord, how you have used him in that city. Father, thank you for the solid work that exists there. Father, the teaching that goes forth from there, the evangelism that goes forth from there, their desire to reach the nations as well. Lord, I know they have a vibrant missions program, and we thank you for that, Lord. I pray for Jared, even as he preaches this morning, that as he stands and proclaims the gospel, the word, the the living truth, Lord, I pray you would minister to him, through him, to your people there. Thank you for these two brothers, and we pray your hand of blessing upon them. We pray also, Lord, for our service here today. I pray for Pastor Jason as he looks at such a strategic text as Acts chapter 2. Father, might we be deeply moved by how you are building your church, the gift of the Holy Spirit and how critical he is for the continued building of your church and the building of our own souls for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.
you, Greg and Kathy, for ministering to us this morning. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for leading us and praying for Somalia. Terribly excited to see how the Lord might use the book of Acts in our church. And I think this is, this is just one of the ways I'm praying that God will use this inspired historical narrative for our church family is to, is to, to push us nudge us more and more and more to have an eye that's fixed up on the nations and the end of the earth. And I'm so excited these next three weeks that you're going to devote our, we're going to devote ourselves outside of our gathering, right? Not just here, but outside of our gathering. We're, we're going to pray for Somalia and ask God to use us, Randolph Street, as an instrument, small seed to plant gospel works in Somalia through strategic partnerships. So Randolph Street, let's sacrificially give and let's earnestly pray for God to use our small efforts for his glory in the nations and especially among Somalia. Well, before I, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter two, right? And while you're turning, before I step into today's text, we're, we're gonna take just a few moments here to pray for a specific need within our church family. Uh, if you're joining us online, first, thank you for joining us. Uh, for these next few moments, we're going to mute the audio, uh, but we would encourage you to uh, join with us and pray for your church family over these next moments. The prayer request that I would like to share with you this morning, and this is one of those moments we're gonna take time and pray for a specific individual within
with your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2. Russ is getting the audio turned back on for our online folks. Acts chapter 2, today we step into one of the most interesting portions of this particular historical narrative and uh, asking the Lord to use this time for us here at Randolph Street to strengthen us as we think about the task that is before us in this world. Acts chapter 2, as we have done the last couple of weeks, we'll do again this week. We're not going to read the narrative before the sermon. We're going to read the narrative as we walk through this particular sermon. So you need to have your Bibles open, notepads in hand, however you best engage with preaching. But we're going to kind of track through this narrative together over these next few moments. And you're going to get this as we preach through Acts. There's going to be various narratives that are going to be lengthy, extended sections, and we're going to get halfway through them, and we're going to get to the end of one sermon, and you're going to say, you're going to, this feeling of, wait, there's more, and you're right, there is more, but because of the lengths of these narratives, uh, at times we're going to kind of cut them in half, and that is going to happen a little bit this morning. So just a little catch-up. What, what is happening as we step in to Acts chapter 2. Here it is. Christ, we're going to come back to this in a moment. Christ, who's ascended to the right hand of the Father, now works in this earth, around the world, among the nations. He's at work and he's doing so through his spirit as he builds his church. What Acts does now is it brings us as readers into this front row, if you will, and we, we get to watch now as Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father builds his church through the work of the Spirit. We're, we're drawn into this history as readers. And what we're going to see as we step into Acts chapter 2 is this sovereign spirit is now going to begin doing this work of Jesus, if you will. And very quickly, you're going to see this begin to unravel. The Spirit is going to call thousands of Jewish men and women to Christ, to faith in Christ before we leave chapter 2. As a matter of fact, the day we're stepping into here, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are going to be added to the 200 that we saw last week. This is the work of the Spirit as he begins to move through the preaching of the gospel and he adds sinners to the church. So by the end of Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands up to preach this rather lengthy sermon, by the end of Acts chapter 2, we are going to see now the Spirit has begun His work. He is building the church of Christ, and 3,200 plus individuals are going to be naming Christ as their Savior. What we learn about the Spirit as we step into texts like this is the Spirit is not out there looking for receptive hearts. The Spirit of God is creating receptive hearts. And that's the beauty of the sovereign work of God through the book of Acts. When we come to Acts chapter 2, this is what one writer calls a watershed moment. Right, this is a significant moment in Acts chapter 2. What happens in Acts chapter 2 is kind of like the proverbial pebble that's thrown into the pond. It causes ripples that are going to affect many other chapters in the book's book of Acts. This is a unique, and I would argue, an unrepeatable moment. In Acts chapter 2, God is going to begin, through the work of the Spirit, of building His church, ultimately stretching the gospel to the nations. 
This moment in Acts is a watershed moment. One writer, God Walters, in his commentary says, the blessings of Pentecost, what we're going to read about today in Acts chapter 2, falls first up on the Jews. That's our narrative, Acts 2. But this, then it's going to expand. All right, this is the pebble in the water. Now, then it's going to expand. We're going to see in Acts chapter 8, the gospel is going to move through the work of the Spirit to the Samaritans. And then Acts chapter 10, the ripples continue in the water, and we're going to see the Gentiles now brought in through the miraculous working of the Spirit of God. The gospel begins to move outward. 3,200 plus Jews by the end of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10 and following. The Gentiles are going to be brought in and what Mitch was reading a few moments ago out of Ephesians is going to begin to be a reality. Jews and Gentiles brought together through the baptism of the Holy Spirit into one body. This is a powerful moment in the history of the church. What happens in Acts chapter 2 has ripple effects that continue throughout history. And Luke, this doctor, is going to step back and he's going to just trace this work. Right? That's the beauty of this. He's just going to trace the work of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit moves. All right. What should come to mind is maybe like John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the work of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wills, right? The Spirit moves. Thousands are brought to Christ. And then the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. And the author of Acts, Luke, is just sitting back and he's just tracing this narrative for us so that we can see now this reality of Jesus building his church. Vern Poitras says, as we move through the book of Acts, all we see is echoes now of Acts chapter 2. That's how important we come, we said a moment ago, it's a watershed moment. Poitras says that everything else is going to be echoes of what God does right here in Acts chapter 2. Your outline this morning, pretty simple. We're just going to follow along with the narrative. We're going to see the coming of the Spirit. First few verses. We're going to see, I mean, it's a miraculous moment when the Spirit comes, and we're going to kind of step into that and look at some of the particulars. Then we're going to see the response of the crowd. I mean, it's a divided response. It's kind of a unique response. Some are are perplexed and confused and questioning and wondering. Others are mocking, but we're going to see just for a moment the response of the crowd. And then we're going to see Peter. He's going to step in like he did in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 with the Matthias and casting of lots situation. We're going to see Peter now step into this mysterious moment of the coming of the Spirit, and he's going to explain to all the crowds what is happening. And that's where he recites the Old Testament. So let's step into this narrative together, the coming of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1, Luke is going to set for us kind of the, the, the background of the day when he says, the day of Pentecost had arrived, and they were all together in one place. They here is probably what we just read in Acts chapter 1, the 120, this large room together. I would assume that's what's happening here. He's not specific on who the they are, but I think it's a good guess following out of Acts chapter 1 that, that, that you have the disciples and you have the women that he noted in chapter 1. You have the brothers of Jesus, and then you have these other disciples, 
not apostles, but other disciples who are early followers of Jesus. And they're, they're gathered together and they're, they're waiting, they're anticipating the work of God that Jesus spoke of. Luke records for us that it's Pentecost. According to Acts chapter 20, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 23, Pentecost would be 50 days after the Passover. The Jews would gather together and they would celebrate this particular festival. It was the second major festival on the Jewish calendar. It would draw significant crowds to Jerusalem. That's, that's the interesting aspect of this moment. Some suppose, some scholars suppose the crowds that would enter into Jerusalem for Passover, some would stay all the way through Pentecost. It's 50 days later, but some suppose the crowds would verge upon a million pilgrims entering into Jerusalem. Pentecost was called the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. We see it recorded for us in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It, it really, it's simply a celebration of a harvest. It's an opportunity for the Jewish nation to recognize the con provision of God and to offer up to God thanks for his provision to the nation. Pentecost, as I noted, was celebrated 50 days after Passover. If you, if you go back to the original Passover, and Tim gave us a, a healthy background of the Passover a few, maybe a month or so ago in our sacraments series, if you go back to the original Passover, 50 days after the Passover, the Israelites found themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, you, you know what happens at Mount Sinai. That's the moment where the law is given to Israel. As history moved on, Pentecost eventually celebrated this aspect of God's faithfulness to his people. Likewise, the giving of a law upon Mount Sinai. So that's the background of everything that's going to happen in Acts chapter 2. Jews from all over have ascended up on Jerusalem. We're going to see them listed in a few moments. Some have stayed over from the Passover celebration, and now they gather to offer up thanks to God for his con provision in the, in the harvest and in the giving of the law, that Mount Sinai moment. And keep, keep that in your mind for a few moments. And this, is, this is the day now. God sends his spirit and power. Look at verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So in this moment, as they are gathered, something happens that engages their senses. Right? It gets their eyes and their ears. And they're going to experience something that can only be explained by analogy. In other words, they don't have categories to explain what their eyes are seeing and what their ears are hearing. So if you look down at your, at your Bible in verse 2 and verse 3, they're going to use words like like and as. So, so they... They can't explain it fully, what is happening, but what their eyes see and what their ears hear, it's like, like a mighty rushing wind, divided tongues as of fire appeared, appeared on them. So before I get into this, this is where it starts getting really interesting in the book of Acts. Before I step into what they're seeing and they're hearing, I want you to note a little, two little words found in verse number two. And suddenly there came, here it is, from heaven. 
And so they, they recognize, Luke here writing this, recognizing that whatever's happening among them, what they're hearing and what they're seeing, whatever, they're, whatever this is, it's coming from heaven. So a few, few verses ago in chapter 1, we saw that this is exactly where Jesus ascended to. And I don't think these are throwaway words for Luke. In other words, Jesus is doing exactly what he said he would do in this moment. This sound, what they're hearing, what their eyes are seeing, it's coming from heaven. This is Jesus in the moment. He is sending his spirit. Peter's going to capture this later in his sermon. You flip over to Acts chapter 2, look at verse number 30. This is for next Sunday, but Peter here is standing up and he's still preaching. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God, this is Acts 2.30, God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. This is going to be a significant theme here in these early sermons. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that, we are all witnesses. Now here it goes. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is how Peter's explaining everything that they're, they're experiencing. He, speaking about Jesus, has poured out this that you are yourselves seeing and hearing. So back in Acts chapter 2, verse number Two, that sound that comes from heaven, that's Luke's way of stepping into this already and saying, hey, Jesus is working. What they're seeing and what they're hearing, this is, this is the result of the work of this ascended Christ. He is doing exactly what he promised to you back in John 13 and John 14 and John 15 and Acts chapter 1. He is now sending his spirit. John Piper would write this, Here we see Jesus doing the actual work of baptizing the disciples with the Holy Spirit. He enters into heaven, he receives from the Father what he had promised, and he pours out what the Jews are seeing and hearing at Pentecost, namely the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the speaking in other language, the prophetic praise and exaltation. The point of that is all of this is the result of this active, ascended Jesus now building his church and, and, and sending the gospel ultimately out of Acts 2 to the nations. I mean, that's, that's what's happening here. Acts 2 is almost like a trampoline. And we talk about Somalia this morning, but the gospel going to Somalia and to you is grounded in what's happening here in Acts chapter 2 and the pouring out of the Spirit to then move the gospel to the nations. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, back up. I'm skipping some things. Let's talk about the sights and the sounds. If I skipped that, you would let me know that afterwards, I'm sure. This mighty rushing wind. So this is what they heard. It was like a violent wind. And here they are, they're gathered. Let yourself be drawn back into the narrative, right? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Just wait. Just wait. All right? And they're just, this anticipation is building. And here it is, the day of Pentecost. All of a sudden... This loud, violent sound comes up on them. Right? And, and, and their explanation is, is from Luke's side, it, it's like a mighty rushing wind. If you were there, you might have said something like, it sounded like a train, <laughs> you know? It was loud and it was violent. It was overwhelming. And then they see tongues as of fire. 
So they, they look, and it's, it's appearing above them what appeared to be tongues and flaming fire. This is obviously indicative of what's getting ready to happen among them, right? Now, I told you a moment ago to tuck away the Mount Sinai moment in your mind. As I was reading this past week and engaging with various scholars and thinking this through, this is like a Mount Sinai experience. Remember Mount Sinai? You had thunder and lightning. I mean, God was among them. And this is, that's a moment at Mount Sinai. Now here in Acts chapter 2, with wind and fire, their eyes and their ears, just like Mount Sinai, eyes and ears engaged. And now we can say the same thing. God is among them. And something significant is taking place. Just like at Mount Sinai, something significant is taking place. Now I would guess, if, if we have read correctly and thought correctly about these things, I would guess the disciples in this moment, when they see these tongues of fire, whatever that is, right? And, and our problem is we're not there, so we can't see it fully, what they are looking up on. But my guess is they would think of what Jesus said to them right before he ascended, the words of John the Baptist three and a half years earlier. Luke chapter three records it for us. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and then he says, and fire. I, whether you can connect those two, I think you can, but I can guarantee you in that moment, these apostles who had listened to Jesus, they'd listened to John the Baptist, and now here it is. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. They're sitting in this upper room. This loud, astounding noise comes up on them, and they look around the room, and the only thing they can say, we see tongues of fire appearing over one another's heads. I, I can almost guarantee you what came to their mind is, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. They knew now the moment was up on them. They knew this. Now look at what happens in verse 4. The coming of the Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now here it is. This is what we've anticipated, right? They were filled with the Spirit. Now they're going to be empowered in ways that they could never imagine. That's what Jesus promised them back in chapter 1, verse number 8. I, I will empower you. I will send this. He will empower you. When the Spirit comes up on you, that's what Jesus has said to his disciples. And now in verse number four, we see that happening, right? They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of their being filled with the Holy Spirit in this historical moment, they begin to speak in other tongues. The Spirit works in them. Notice that last little phrase, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Spirit worked in them, and they speak in these other tongues. Now, let me just get this on the table, because we have a number of instances in the book of Acts where they speak in tongues. As a matter of fact, I would argue that it's, it's these, it was Vern Poitras, I think, who said this, the other instances are the little Pentecost moments rooted back in Acts chapter 2. We're going to see the gospel go to the Samaritans. We're going to see the gospel go to the Gentiles. There's going to be an odd little moment. We're going to see this unique deal in Acts 20-ish maybe where the gospel goes to John the Baptist's disciples and, and the spirit does these unusual I would argue unrepeatable works to confirm the gospel in these peoples 
But let me get this on the table, what I think is happening here when they speak in other tongues. What I think is happening, or what I think is clearly happening here, these other tongues are understood as spoken and known languages. Unlearned by the one speaking it, but known by the hearer. So if you look down at chapter 2, verse number 6, they were bewildered, the, 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 the crowd we're going to talk about, they were bewildered because each one is hearing them speak in his own language. They spoke in tongues and what the hearers heard were, were, was their own language. If you look down at verse number 8, they heard their own native language. If you look down at verse number 11, it's in our own tongues. That's what they are hearing. The Spirit moves these 120, we don't know if it's all of them or a select few of them, but some of them at least began speaking in these other tongues and the crowds, they hear them as real language, our languages. Now, for the five or six of you who were here in 2008 and nine, when I preached through 1 Corinthians, you remember in 1 Corinthians that Paul, when he talks about gifting in the church, he talks about the need for one to interpret tongues. Now, just as a Bible student, what is happening in Acts, and we're going to see this in a moment, if you, if you get your thinking cap on this morning, what's happening in Acts and what's happening in 1 Corinthians, they are not apples-to-apple apple comparisons. They are very different audiences. That's the issue. Very, very different audience. So let's look at the audience here that's gathered in this moment. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. I think Luke here is just reminding us of, of the diaspora, right? Jews via persecution primarily have been scattered in the previous centuries. They've been scattered all over the known earth, right? So Jews who have been dispersed outside of Israel, and now it's Pentecost, and previously it was Passover, these Jewish people now for centuries have been displaced, but, but they come and, and ascend up on Jerusalem during these festivals, like Passover and like Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. They, they come into the city so these aren't, again, these aren't throwaway words by Luke. They're from every nation under heaven. Like they've been dispersed and now, now they, for, for centuries, they've been dispersed and now they're coming to Jerusalem. Verse six. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So we don't, we don't really know what's happening here. The 120, they, they may have, they were, in up a room, they were in a room together. They may have moved outside or maybe the crowds are gathering and they hear this language, their own languages coming through open windows. And it doesn't really matter. They hear it. And they're shocked. And again, to repeat the point, why are they shocked? because they're hearing their own language. Greek would have been a common language for all, but now these individuals who have come to Jerusalem for the festivals, they are hearing the disciples of Jesus speak in their native languages from their places of origin. Now, he's going to 
help us understand who all that is. Look at verse 7. They were amazed. They hear this. And they ask a really good question. Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? I mean, the point there is this. They don't know our language. It's just a bunch of Galileans. What's happening here? Why am I hearing my native language? I mean, that's, that's what's perplexed the crowd. This is just a bunch of Galileans. And they were saying, are not all of these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our native language? And then he lists them all for us. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. That's a significant moment there. Right? We got visitors in from Rome. Remember how the book of Acts ends? It ends with Paul imprisoned in Rome and the gospel spreading through Rome, ultimately what we, what we think we know to Spain. But he, he notes that there's visitors here from Rome. And it's not just Jews. Note this. It's proselytes. These are Gentiles who've converted to the Jewish faith. They are all gathered there. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling then on our own tongues the mighty works of God. So just the, the author here helps us see the diversity of the crowd. These are Jews and Gentiles who've embraced the Jewish faith. These are Jews who have been dispersed among the regions for centuries. And now they, they send up on Jerusalem for the festival. They hear this strange noise going on in this, maybe in an upper room, maybe on some large patio, possibly even on the streets. And what do they hear? Their own native language. And notice what is being said. They are speaking in our tongues the mighty works of God. <laughs> this is great. What are the mighty works of God? Well, this is a little bit of guesswork. I think what's happening is they're having more or less a worship gathering. And at the core of their gathering together, these 120 individuals, at the core of their gathering together is lifting up their voices in praise to God for the promises that he has fulfilled in Christ. I mean, what a moment. They're just, they're just gathered. And the Spirit of God comes up on them. Look down at verse number 22 of Acts 2. This is probably give you a good idea of what's happening. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. I think this is the mighty works of God. I think what we can see here is they're gathered together. The Spirit of God in a shocking way comes up on them. It's loud sounds, and they look out and they see these tongues of fire. And what is happening in them? They're praising God. They're lifting up their voices, thankful for the mighty works of God that he has done for them through Jesus. This Jesus whom they crucified, he's alive. How do they know that? God raised him from the dead. And they're, they're preaching this. They're proclaiming this. They're celebrating this. What a moment. Jesus is building his church. I tried to think of a good analogy for us here. I, I, I'm, 
I'm not good at this. But a moment ago, I thought when Randy was praying, Randy, just phenomenal prayer leading us this morning. And then you stand up and sing, read the scriptures. Mitch and Ashley. Ashley, you did such a good job there. Us gods, we panic in those moments. You were so calm. But someone standing outside who speaks a completely different language and God gifting one of you, 10 of you, 40 of you with a gift of tongues. And they're standing out there and they're hearing it in their language. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I wasn't there and that's probably a terrible analogy, but that's what's happening here. This 120, they're in there just lifting up their voices in praise and adoration of God. They're speaking about the mighty works of God, which had to be the fact that Jesus died and he had ra been raised from the dead by the Father. And this, these people are outside, or maybe they're out with them, and they hear all of this in their own language. The mighty works of God is being proclaimed. It's kind of what's happening in 1 Corinthians in some ways. Paul acknowledges that unbelievers may come in among them. And what, what did Paul want to happen if unbelievers come in among us? He, he didn't, well, we know he doesn't want ears tickled, right? He wants them to know that God is among them. Well, in this moment, God was among them. Look at their response in verse 7, or excuse me, verse 12. They were amazed and perplexed. Verse 7 says they were astonished and they were just looking around and saying, what in the world does this mean? These are Galileans. They don't know our languages, but we're hearing them speak in our native language, whatever that is, and I'll let you wrestle with all of that. They were amazed. They were confused. If you look at verse 13, there's another response of some of the crowd. They mocked them. They were filled with new wine is what they said. So we have a divided crowd here. Some will, some will believe, like I said a moment ago, there's going to be 3,000 converts at the end of this day added to the church. Others will mock. And, and this is kind of the dividing line we're going to see as we walk through the book of Acts. There will always be some who believe, and there will be others that mock. I'm going to, I'm going to reference this text in a moment. But in, but in Acts chapter 18, if I remember correctly, before Peter enters into Corinth, remember what the Lord said to him in a vision? I have many people in that city. There's always going to be people who believe. The Spirit of God is building the church. But what we see here is kind of a pattern that we're going to see in the book of Acts. There are going to be others who are going to resist, and they're going to mock, and ultimately they're going to persecute the church. Peter can't handle their explanation. Verse 13, they're filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. So Peter stands up, verse 14. And this is where it gets kind of thick. Peter stands up with the 11. He lifted up his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. And he's going to address the rumor. These people are not drunk, as some of you have supposed, since it is only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m., I mean, Peter just makes it clear. There's, it doesn't happen at 9 a.m. They're not drunk. Something else, that, that response is not correct. There's got to be another explanation to what is happening here. It can't be a bunch of drunk men and women. So look what he does. He's going to take these Jewish hearers 
to the Old Testament. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So everything you're seeing, everything you're hearing, this is exactly what Joel spoke of. And then he says in verse 17, in the last days it shall be, God declares. So Peter says, this is the last days. This is how he's looking at this moment. This is, these are the last days. He's applying Joel the last days to what they are seeing and experiencing here with the work of the Spirit. Now, if you let your eyes linger here just for a moment, there's two important days in this Joel prophecy. Verse 17, last days. Let your eyes now linger all the way down to verse number 20, the day of the Lord. Those are two important days in Joel's prophecy, the last days and then this, if we could call it the last, last day. Right, the day of the Lord. Neither of them is restricted to a 24-hour period, so don't, don't think of it like that. One of them is now, I'm going to prove that in a moment, the last days. The other is future. We don't have any indication in this text, I would argue, any other text of the length of the gap between these two days, if you will. The fact that the first one has come signifies that the second will then take place. One scholar says, the this is why I said this is so important right here, the outpouring of God's Spirit is a sign that this other day of the Lord will indeed come to pass, that future day of the Lord. This outpouring of the Spirit now is guaranteeing that day is going to happen. So Peter looks at this, this moment, and he characterized it as the last days. Through the, through the prophecy of Joel. That's the day we live in. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Right, that's the old covenant. He did this in a variety of ways. He spoke to the prophets. And then he says, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So in the mind of the New Testament writer, these last days, they begin when, when Jesus enters the world. And they end, they move us now to this end, last day of the Lord. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But what characterizes these last days? This is where it gets a little complicated. Look at verse 17. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is his explanation. What you see right now is what Joel spoke of hundreds of years ago. The work of the spirit would be upon all flesh. So, so here's what I think he's saying here, and not what I think he's saying, it's what he's saying. Regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of social class, there are no distinctions in the work of the Spirit in the new covenant. 
The Spirit of God and his gifting and his empowering is not given to a ruling class, an elite party. He is given to all within the body of Christ, the new covenant people of God. Under the old covenant, the Spirit would primarily empower prophets and kings and judges. But in the new covenant, he will be upon all flesh and he will gift all people within the covenant people of God. This is a shocking moment, right? The, the Spirit of God is now, he has come, and he's up on all of those within the new covenant. And he's empowering all flesh within the new covenant. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're a servant or a master. The Spirit of God has been poured out upon all within the new covenant. That's the promise here. This is what Peter's saying. This is what's happening. Moses longed for this day. I mean, listen to this. 1,500 plus years before, Moses said, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that, his, that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. Moses longed for this day, and Peter says, it's here. The spirit of God is up on us. Now, the results of this spirit's work is where it gets a little tricky. Verse 17 and 18, there's prophecy, there's visions, there's dreams, young to old, men to women. God is pouring out his spirit in a miraculous way. Prophecy here, I think, is the reception and proclamation of divine revelation, exposing those things which maybe are secret or even future for the building up of God's people. I think it's the gift of prophecy. I'm not going to resolve any of your questions about these things in our day. I'm just laying out the text. Visions and dreams that spoken of here by Joel, which tongues fits in here, either under prophecy or visions. I mean, it's kind of why he's telling you all this. Visions and dreams are the supernatural revelation that is received. I mean, we're going to see this as we track through the book of Acts. Ananias is going to receive a dream from the Lord after Paul's conversion, Acts chapter 9. Peter in Acts chapter 10, when the Spirit is getting ready to blow open the doors to the Gentiles and the work of the gospel, there Peter receives a vision regarding Cornelius and the work of the gospel among the Gentiles. Acts chapter 18 is what I just mentioned to you. Paul, before he goes into Corinth, the Lord gives him a vision. And he says to Paul in the vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people who are in this city. They are my people. That's a dream. That's a vision that Paul receives before he goes into Corinth. And again, I think we can assume the gift of tongues can fit into these categories of prophetic utterances and visions and dreams divine revelation given, received, spoken, however that all fits together. But that's not it. It's not just about that. It's more. Look, look down at verse number 19. There's going to be this period of last days moving us toward the last day. Is going, creation is going to have signs marking it up likewise. He says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the here's the second one right the day of the lord comes the great and magnificent day 
Right, so that's distinguishing us out now from the last days. Now he's moving us something here toward that last, as he says, great and magnificent day. Here's what Vickers says. This is like three weeks in a row I've quoted Vickers, okay? He says, the outpouring of the Spirit that we see in Acts chapter 2 is tightly connected to this cosmic upheaval. He says, this language that we're reading here in verses 19 and 20 and following describes the final day of the last days. So the pouring out of the Spirit, Acts chapter 2, doesn't have just immediate effects upon the gathered crowd. There are larger effects that's coming in this pouring out of the Spirit, blood and fire and vapor of smoke and sun darkened and moon to blood. Now, let me, I'm moving toward the end quickly here. There are moments in the last days of Jesus where we see these kinds of things happening a little bit. I mean, you remember what Luke said. It was the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole earth till the ninth hour. And then he says, the sun's light failed. I mean, we see that here in Joel's prophecy. Or Matthew chapter 27, Matthew records this for us. When the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom, he says the earth shook. This great earthquake happened and rocks were split. But I do agree with Brian. These events described for us in verse 19 and 20. On the whole, the fullness of these events are likely reserved for that great and mighty day of the Lord. Jesus would say this, Luke chapter 21, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and in the or, on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear with the foreboding of what is coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's Jesus looking out and talking about what is coming at the end of the age when he returns. This great and magnificent day refers to the final day, the consummation of all things, that day when God will judge all the nations. He will pour out his justice through his wrath. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is a guarantee that that day will come. Look at verse 21. This concludes the prophet Joel and concludes our sermon this morning. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now, here we go. <laughs> here we go. The church begins her journey. Based upon this prophecy, the Spirit of God has come and he is empowering the church just like Jesus has said. And now here we go. The final cry of this prophetic word from Joel is this. You call upon the name of the Lord with that day of the Lord in mind here, this great day of judgment and justice that will be brought upon the nations. You call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You will be saved. It's the message. Later, Peter's going to stand up and he's going to say, repent and be baptized for what? For the forgiveness of your sins. At the end of this day, before night falls, at the end of this day, there's going to be 3,000 say, we call upon the name of the Lord. 
Let me finish by saying this. Maybe. Maybe through our prayers and our giving these next three weeks, God would take, uh, just listening to him mention this, the, the passion of that man praying for his country and his people. We're in this story right here. God would use our prayers and our, I'd love to send thousands of dollars to native Somalians in Somalia working to plant churches and preach the gospel thousands of dollars and maybe just maybe out of that effort when that day comes and all is over and finished and we stand in glory with the multitudes of the redeemed some Somalians will come to you and say thank you thank you for planting the seed and being faithful to the work that God has called us to the church proclaiming the gospel in the power of the spirit to build the kingdom of Christ. There is no greater work on earth. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, our hearts break when we see videos like that, reminded of the desperate need of the gospel to go to dark places like Somalia or when we look around our own streets here of Charleston and think about Appalachia and poverty and addiction desperation what a privilege you have given us to be right here in this moment with this kind of gospel let us as a church here and abroad proclaim the mighty works of God through the power of your spirit. Let us be confident, not in ourselves, in our own creativity or imagination, but let us rely upon the preaching of the gospel through the empowering of the spirit to build the kingdom of Christ. Lord, over these coming weeks and months, would you stir in us a renewed energy and passion for these things let us see in light of all of the junk around us competing for our attention and to seeking to divide us let us see that this this mission you've called us to this gospel is our unifying marker and together we hear all kinds of different peoples we 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 come together to worship you, our God, and to fulfill the mission you have called us to. Let that consume your people here. This week, Father, I would pray for Randolph Street that we would be on the Joshua Project and we would be on Urgent Needs and the other website and just perusing the facts and figures of gospel work around the world. And may that capture us this week. So much so that we can't help but to pray. We can't help but to give to see your gospel spread to these really, really dark, dark places. Oh God, glorify Jesus in Somalia. Glorify Jesus in Appalachia. That's our prayer. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. For one final time, let's stand and sing together.
trust that these benedictions will be used of the Spirit of God to press truth into our hearts to enable us to walk through the week for God's honor and glory. Listen to these glorious words and how it ties the truths that Pastor Jason spoke to us earlier. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Praise be to his name. Praise God.